You are listening to episode 19 of the NASA and Silicon Valley podcast. Today's guest is John Marmy, the Asteroid Redirect Mission Commercial Partnerships and Hosted Payload Lead. He also serves as the Pathfinder Technology Demonstrator Project Manager. We discussed John's previous work on the L-Cross mission, which is a great pickup from last week's episode on the moon. We also go into his current work on the Asteroid Redirect mission and how all of it is preparation for the journey to Mars. We talk about connecting his passions of engineering with playing the guitar and songwriting. And finally, we close everything out with a special musical treat. So here is John Marmy. Tell us about yourself. Tell us how, how you joined NASA, what brought you to Silicon Valley. So uh, what really brought me to NASA, you know, it really wasn't on my radar as a kid or mm-hmm. anything like that. You know, we used to, uh, I remember watching the uh, old Apollo programs on black yeah. and white TV and stuff. But uh, it, it just wasn't something that a kid really kind of dreamed of in yeah. in the in that area and stuff. I guess the mothership had really not called me yet. Not quite there. yet. No. So... Um, I ended up going to college at Ohio University, and okay. um, I studied what was called el- electromagnetics, computational electromagnetics at the time. And uh, that's where uh, college really taught me many things, such as independence, social, yeah. you know, the socialness, diversity, discipline, engineering, et cetera. And um, I was really all about job security coming out of the <laughs> Ohio Valley at the time, yeah. because jobs were kind of far and few between at the time, okay. especially good jobs. And so uh, job security was really important to me. So my major that I chose at the time was uh, uh, computer science initially. Okay. As I got into it, I was like, you know what? I don't really want to sit behind a desk my whole yeah. life. So I switched majors to electrical engineering. Okay. And now I find that ironic that I sit behind a behind a computer my whole life now and everything. <laughs> it all comes full circle. You yes, it does. It was, <laughs> it was your destiny. Yeah. So with with that bachelor's of uh, engineering in hand, I sent out uh, eighty resumes, particularly to okay. places it ended in beach, like Redondo Beach, Manhattan Beach. Yeah. And. Um, I ended up getting 80 rejection letters at the time. The, oh, wow. the market, the job market at the time was horrible. Mm-hmm. And so I took those 80 rejection letters down to the local pub, and I even asked for like a pity pitcher of beer for those. <laughs> and they would not give it to me. That's how tough things were back then. <laughs> They're like, suck it up. <laughs> so y- you have to have a backup plan. Mm-hmm. So my backup plan at the time first was I applied for grad school. And the second was I, I took this clipping out of the paper. It was a uh, for a job in the North Atlantic to work on a uh, oil rig. Okay. And you make is it you make seventy thousand dollars a year tax free. Oh wow. And I was like, you know, that's not a bad alternative. So I took that clipping, put it in my back pocket, and I kept that around yeah. for a couple of years. And so. Um, Luckily, grad school came through, okay. and you just can't go wrong with education, and that's yeah. for any young listener out there. You and can't can go wrong with education you. as a backup plan. And um, so I had finished uh, I'd, I'd finished my master's uh, in electrical engineering, and this okay. time I felt uh, a little bit more confident in myself, and yeah. I relied on some divine guidance. And <laughs> I sent out 50 resumes this time okay. to places in Indian Beach. And uh, a couple of those places, uh, I uh, Lawrence Livermore, okay, and um, NASA Ames Research Center. But as I was going through grad school, I specialized in um, computational electromagnetics, and what that okay. really is, you use computer codes to simulate 
antenna patterns, or okay. or you'd use computer codes to uh, simulate uh, how those antennas were working at certain re- airports, et cetera, because the okay. FAA was sending us work, and that's what we would work on, and we'd get our thesis out of it, et cetera. Oh, wow. So was that straight up? You just saw – you just sent an application over to, to Ames and – then it just set you on your path, or well, it, it, I'd I'd send it out to all those places, and interestingly enough, I went to the library, the Peterson's mm-hmm. Guide to Engineering and Scientific Jobs, and I looked in there and it said NASA Ames was looking for computational electromagnetics. I was like, <laughs> are we <I>, a match? <laughs> that's <laughs> so, awesome. <laughs> so I sent them a resume. I sent Lawrence Livermore a resume. NASA wouldn't fly me out here for a resume or for, oh, for a, an interview. An interview. Okay. But Lawrence Livermore would. And, and Lawrence Livermore is just on the other side of the bay. Lawrence Livermore is just on there. They gave me right. they gave uh, me a couple Oakland. days to look around the area too. So I took there one of those go. days. <laughs> I drove down How here fortunate. to NASA, and it was during like a February time frame. The, yeah. the hills were just plush green. I'd also I'd interviewed in D.C. where it was concrete. Yeah. So I'm from the country, and all yeah. this green. I saw this plush green, and it just felt right. Uh-huh. The gut feeling felt right, and and it was at that point I knew that going to NASA Ames was the right choice. So that is, in a nutshell, kind of how I uh, ended up here. But I can also distinctly remember when I accepted the job, I was at my grad school uh, office, and I accepted. I remember that chill that I felt when I said yes, and, and it was like I remember it was sort of sur- sort of surreal. And then when I got out here, I was having really trouble finding a place to stay. I had just arrived in the area. Yeah, yeah. I had nothing but my guitar and, and <laughs> with me, and that was about really it. And I was having a hard time. And I get on the uh, payphone at the time with my uh, parents, and I was like, you know, I really, I I was having a hard time finding a place to stay. I was like, you know, I just want to go home. But I stuck it out, and I'm very glad I stayed. So that's how I ended up at uh, NASA Ames Research Center, and that was 27 years ago. So I'd imagine that, you know, especially compared to now, we have a whole supercomputing, quantum computing, like, infrastructure, all all the stuff that NASA's working on. Imagine when you first came over, it was just like the the naissance of all of that. Oh, it was. You were building um, it. Yeah, and at that time, uh, computational electromagnetics is very intensive, computationally intensive, yeah. and you need supercomputers. And at the time, um, I got to work on uh, Cray supercomputers. Okay. At the time, and state of the art were four gigabyte hard drives. <laughs> really nice. Hard, you know, at the time, and it was like, wow, I get four gigabytes of hard drive. Like, you know, why me? could you? How could you ever need more than that? <laughs> so when you you get here, you're hitting the ground. You're in, you're missing the lack of cornfields from Ohio, I'm sure. <laughs> as, a, as a fellow, hey, and corn <laughs> and allergies <laughs> in winter, but I, I don't know. For me, I don't miss winter as much as an Ohioan. No, um, that's, that's one thing I do miss. Um, so, what was some of the stuff when you first came on? What were some of the big projects that you were working on? Like Ames is kind of interesting, where it's a lot of the science, or it's a not necessarily like a big massive mission or program but it's a piece of something so what were some of the stuff that you were working on so when i was first hired in that's where i did all that uh work on the cray supercomputers and and we would analyze and attend radar testing okay of uh various technologies okay and i distinctly remember during some of that uh we'd go back to langley do some testing but i'd also be out in the middle of the desert one time i remember I'm out there, and we were doing radar <laughs> testing in the middle of the night, and and the bay doors would open, something like out of Star Trek. It would be, ah, oh, yeah. ah, 
uh, open up and it's like, oh my God, the stars and everything. Yeah. And we would do that because we knew the Soviet satellites would be flying over at certain times. Oh, so really? So we only, there were windows in which we would do these testings and we'd do it at night and everything. So I thought during that time and seeing things like that, I was like, now how freaking cool is this? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I moved over into the engineering org, which is okay. called RE at, the, at this point. Uh, time there. And that's where okay. we started to develop instruments, our okay. instrumentation for the scientists. We started enabling their ideas yeah. uh, for that. And I would work, I started working with this really fun group of uh, young guys, and we were at the top of uh, the building over there, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of had run <laughs> of the place. And we would practical joke all the time. <laughs> you get engineers we pulling practical jokes. We were jokes. nerd engineers <laughs> pulling off practical jokes like you wouldn't believe. You know, some of them. <laughs> for for instance, I had this um, I had this windshield washer spray pump okay. and everything, and I hooked it up to our com- my computer, and I would <laughs> activate it if you hit a key on the keyboard. It would actually <laughs> spray. And I'd point that spray point towards the person that was at the keyboard. So whoever sat at my keyboard oh. and touched the key was going to get doused. And so, you know, you'd activate things like that. I, there were so many more practical jokes I won't go into and I'll, <laughs> I'll protect the guilty at this point. Yeah. But, um, but the, one of the great experiences I had, we were developing instruments. Yeah, what kind of instruments? And yeah. so this instrument was called Argus at the time that I came over at okay. ARGUS. And it was uh, an instrument that would fly on a balloon platform. It would, uh, you'd put it on a gondola, fly it okay. up to 100,000 feet, and you would test for tracer gases in the atmosphere. A tracer oh, wow. gas would be an indicator of how much maybe ozone uh, would be in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. We tested various places around the world, but the, one of the coolest places I got to go to is Brazil, in the middle of Brazil. Really? And we were there for six weeks testing that. And that was just, it was almost life changing. Mm-hmm. It was like oh, seeing yeah. that culture. I mean, the, the place. It's not like Ohio. It, it was like donkey carts, you know, donkeys pulling carts uh-huh. in, in a. In a place, but they had cell phones. I didn't even have a cell phone at the time. Yeah, yeah. It was like because they didn't have that infrastructure to support mm-hmm. them, so they needed cell phones. Yeah, but but that was sort of like a really eye-opening, just such a rewarding experience to be part of that for six mm-hmm. weeks and and to do that. We also tested, you know, in Ireland. We'd go test some instruments there as well. Okay. So um, as I started doing that. I began to take on more engineering management roles. We okay. needed more of that okay. in that org. So I began to take on more responsibilities. But it just so happened at that time the dot com era was kicking in. And a lot a of rough we, time for the Bay Area. Rough time for NASA actually wow. in the Bay Area because a lot of people started going for the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, including myself. I went out, interviewed. Yeah. I had an offer from Motorola in hand, and I mean, I I weighed the decision really hard, and I went down to my branch chief, and I took it and tore it up in front of her, and I I was like, I just can't do it. Oh, wow. And I was like, I'm I'm so glad I stayed again Uh on that. So as that went on, I also started working with this group on this Mars airplane concept. Really? Okay. It was a, uh, um, you, you know, just we were talking about flying like an RC plane on Mars type of thing. So okay, not a radio, you know, interesting. Autonomously controlled plane. And um, 
I would frequently call my parents at home and tell them all the cool things that I was working on. <laughs> and um, I, I distinctly remember calling mom and dad that one day, and I said, Mom, Dad, we're working on this cool airplane uh, that we want to fly on Mars. And so hung up. About a week later, my mom calls me back, and she goes, John, I don't want you to go. <laughs> You're like, go where? <laughs> and she, she literally thought I was going to go fly this You're going to go fly on Mars. airplane on Mars. All righty. That was mom protecting me there. <laughs> Gotta love <them. laughs> like, Well, I appreciate your concern. <laughs> I think we have that taken care of. <laughs> and then, so that was right around the 2000s. And Ames was really suffering an identity crisis. We had to be the center of excellence for something right around that time. Uh-huh. And so there was this dip in projects. I mean, we weren't bringing in projects. We weren't okay. bringing in money and everything. And at that phase, we really began what was a uh, – everybody was putting out proposals, trying okay. to get new work and everything. And it was uh, during that time that I really uh, got my big break. Okay. Essentially, you'd so to say, we were working on proposals in this particular one. We were awarded a mission to confirm the presence of water ice on the moon. Oh, wow. And that mission was named LCROSS, or the Lunar Crater Observation and Sensing Satellite. And uh, I would say that project was probably the most rewarding uh, project that I worked on. Mm -hmm. It really gave me a sense of purpose. Um, and, and an identity here at Ames. Yeah. And so I really, um, I remember talking to the project manager. I think you may have interviewed him already, was, Dan. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I was like, yeah. when you had mentioned um, Alacross or Dan Andrews. Andrews yeah. yeah, he came in and was going through the, you know, the difference between Laddie and Alacross and throwing things at the moon and checking out the cloud, the puff, the yeah. cloud afterwards. It was a great experience that he, he and I went through. And um, I remember uh, we were a bit uneasy after that selection. We were in NASA headquarters back at D.C., and uh, we were walking, and, and, and I was like, Dan, we can do this. And I know <laughs> we can do this, you know, you, you and I together. And um, so, you know, I'd frequently go into his office, you know, mainly, you know, and some of the mornings were rough, you know, yeah, project-wise okay. get going, and I go, Dan, we get to work on a mission to the moon today, you know, and always remind ourselves what we really yeah, doing. Keep the bigger on the prize, the big picture. But three exhausting years later, Alcross slammed into the moon at about twice the speed of a bullet, wow. confirming the presence of water ice in permanently shattered regions. Um, but one really cool tidbit of information about that is. Um, we had some extra space in our avionics system there. Okay. And, and there was this uh, aluminum plate, a couple of aluminum plates that we took and we engraved the names of our families and oh, really? our team members. <laughs> and okay. we engraved the names of those. And that plate is now a mangled hunk of metal in a permanently some... shattered crater of Cabeus Crater on the moon right now. <laughs> so the, the perks of the job. Yeah. You can make sure your family knows your name is somewhere yeah, my, sitting on the moon. And my two boys, I tell them that, they kind of glaze over, but I don't think they really grasp the gravity of that yet, <laughs> you know. But it is such a cool uh, thing that they'll have going forward. So after that project, what, what are you kind of working on now? What are some? What are some well, s- after after Elcross, five days after we impact, I'd worked on another proposal called Iris and found out we had won 
I'm at Cape Canaveral waiting on the launch outcross, and, and, okay. and I was finding out we had actually won the IRIS mission, which oh, is wow. the Interface Region Imaging Spectrograph. Okay. And that was a, um, a mission to actually study the sun, and um, uh, it's still on orbit today. I work with Lockheed okay. Martin in Palo Alto. I went over and sat with them for three and a half years and, okay. and delivered, but that thing is still orbiting Earth today. It's in extended mission mode right now, collecting solar secrets as we speak. Oh, wow. And what's really cool is that I have on my cell phone, I get texts from uh, the spacecraft because it's still because it's still sending data back and i get i just i have some texts on my phone right now that it's a good party uh conversation piece (laughs) when you get a text you're like oh (laughs) iris keeps texting me already (laughs) stop bothering me (laughs) you're like you know no big deal texts from the sun yeah as one does (laughs) but after iris i i I was. I just needed a break. Yeah, I needed a break from project schedules at that point, point. Mm-hmm. and so I was offered an opportunity to become deputy division chief for the programs and project management division, Code okay. PX here. And so I took that on. Our job there was to enable successful program and project management. Okay, so something that you know that that uh, we that org was just formed newly. Okay, not much earlier than that. So we were trying to build up capabilities and tools for managing projects here yeah, which, but, is, which is interesting because like here at Ames there's there's like a, a director that mainly looks at science another one looks at technology another for engineering and so having like one that just mainly just looks at okay the projects the missions that ha- has a little bit of all of those things together kind of keeping focus on exactly. that exactly yeah yeah so um but also um at the same time, I took on uh, what was called the Commercial Partnerships Lead for the Asteroid Redirect Mission, or ARM. Okay. So I, I was doing dual duty at the time. But um, ARM, I'm, I don't know if you've heard about that, but, um, but it's similar to the Apollo missions, which led to uh, footsteps on the moon. Okay. But ARM is is considered a stepping stone towards Mars. It's the journey, okay. you know, part, part, of, the of, part of the journey of Mars. Mars. And and what we're going to do is the first ever robotic mission to actually visit a near uh, near Earth asteroid, and we're going to collect a multi-ton boulder from okay. its surface. So this asteroid in itself is uh, it's called 2008 EV5. It's about 1.1 AU, and AU is Earth to the distance to the sun. Okay. So that's about how far away it is. It's a 400-meter um, asteroid, and we're going to collect a, a three to four meter boulder from its surface, which weighs about twenty tons. Okay. And we're going to do that with a spacecraft. Think of it as <laughs> you know the claw. The from, claw um, from Toy Story. Toy Story that yes, comes down and acts the claw, collects the boulder, <laughs> and picks it up from the surface. Then we're going to bring that back and put it in a stable orbit around the moon. Okay. All right. So the spacecraft has this boulder. It's going to go in a stable orbit around the moon. Then in the mid-2020s, uh, the Orion with the crew, they're mm-hmm. going to come up, chip away at it, collect samples, and bring those samples back to Earth. And is that asteroid currently orbiting with us around the sun? Or is it where, – where, Yeah, it's, it's you know, more out near like the asteroid belt area. <gasps> okay, so it's basically we're going to go grab orbit, you, yeah. bring you back – Put you around the moon, and right. then later on, other people will come and take some stuff from you. Exactly. So um, that what we're really doing with that um, 
once we return those samples and everything, it's really part of NASA's plan to advance the technologies and the spaceflight experience that we actually need to get to Mars. For example, we're testing out the uh, huge solar electric propulsion systems. We're testing out the human spaceflight suits in these EVAs that we'll perform when we get there. We'll test out, you know, maybe uh, any uh, technologies we need for uh, rendezvous operations and docking and things like that in deep space. So it, it really is a stepping stone towards mm-hmm. Mars, and it's just really got cool written all over it. And some people who are listening may be familiar with the OSIRIS-REx mission that had launched later in 2016, <clears throat> and, and that's going to go take a sample and bring it back. Yeah. This is this is the one extra step. It's like, we're going to go grab one and bring it home. We're going to bring a huge sample back. Oh, wow. And uh, (laughs) that sample will be around for many, many years. And and what's great about that, you have commercial companies out there also Uh interested in asteroid mining. Okay. And this plays into the partnership part of it. So these companies are very interested in harvesting um, either volatiles that could be used for uh, fuel for a spacecraft. Okay. Or they could, or they're interested in the precious metals from asteroids and stuff. Yeah. And so, so this is a perfect test bed for them as well. They're interested, very interested in this asteroid. They're interested in partnering with us. Yeah. And we just recently solic- uh, put out a solicitation for hosted payloads where they could potentially oh, really? partner with us and be a payload uh, as on part of the robotic mission. And how do you go about selecting that asteroid? Why, I mean, you have plenty to choose from. How, how do you go about, I mean, is well, there are committees out there that actually look mm-hmm. at different asteroids and different uh, what's, ad, what's the candidates, what's advantageous. And, and what they look at mainly uh, for our purposes and for commercial purposes are they call them carbonaceous asteroids okay. that maybe have volatiles, you know, water, water, ice embedded in them. Because if you really think about it, for us to go into deep space – uh, to get to that next level, we're going to need fuel depots, right? Yeah, totally. And so, if say if an asteroid has water embedded in it, water, mm-hmm. ice, okay. you bring it in, and uh, there's concepts out there where they bag it, you know, heat it up, and that okay. becomes, uh, you know, uh, you know, the water vapor and everything. And yeah, I mean, there is hydrogen that. and there's oxygen, oxygen <laughs> and you have a fuel source right there. And wow, you have oxygen for breathing. So. You you've had you have a fuel de- depot in space. Yeah, a gas know, stations on thing. the way to Mars. It, you know, <laughs> it it takes a while to get there, but we have to get there one step at a time. And and ARM is that first step really for humans to get to mm-hmm. deeper space right now. And so. One thing you talked about, like from when you coming from Ohio out to California, and all your time at NASA, I, you'd mentioned you know bringing your guitar all along the way. A lot of times people tend to think you have, here's your science brain and then an artsy music side. So you got both of those worlds in there. So how much does music and and that kind of play into your normal traditional STEM kind of background? So um, I've been very fortunate and I've been able to combine passions. Awesome. My passion for music. I I grew up in a family that was inherently musical. I I was writing songs, you know, at about 18, oh, 19 wow. years old, started writing about then. And I'd always kept songwriting separate from my professional okay. work. And uh, I kept it separate for almost nearly 18 years. It was during the L-Cross mission, I was flying to Kennedy Space Center for a working group, and I was uh, watching this movie, in-flight movie, and I noted <laughs> this quote from Walt Disney that said, um, 
uh, it said uh, something like, we keep moving forward, opening new doors, uh, doing new things because we're curious and curiosity leads us down new paths. And so with that, and Elcross's goal was to uh, go find water on the moon. Yeah. And so I went home, and in four hours that weekend, I wrote a song called Water on the Moon. Oh, wow. And that song, when we placed it on a soundtrack to an Elcross video, (laughs) I was like, I think I found my niche. You got something here. I got something. Combine the interests together. (laughs) I was like, you know, people are actually listening. Wow. That's different. (laughs) You know? So, um, and, and another cool thing about that was the exposure that NASA provides as well. So Water on the Moon, it actually played through the Kennedy Space Center uh, speaker system and oh, everything really? during launch. I think it was on NASA TV as well. So oh, I was fun. very fortunate, very blessed to be able to, to have done something like that to have, uh, and, and people accepted that. Yeah. So um, that's that's really how the passion between uh, music and this started. And since then, I've started uh, writing more songs. And that anything that inspires me in space, I really I write a song about. And I now have a couple albums out. Well, and you have a special treat for us, for the listeners, to, to, that we're going to tag on at the end of this episode. You want to kind of like tee that up a little bit let people know what it is this one is a song i wrote for the asteroid redirect mission okay so um there's there is that mission just has very cool written all over it Mm -hmm. it's you know inspiration you know i start off uh with you know in the first verse you know it's 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 about a kid looking up into space you know dreaming about what's out there and everything and then you know as you build into the chorus it 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 just it goes into like a um, here's the big picture um, you can move a mountain or you know yeah. you, you could do anything you want anything an everything's possible <laughs> you can move an asteroid in space wow. you know, anything's possible and it's just if you think big enough Excellent. and so that that was the inspiration behind that one and really the style behind the song like I said um, we were talking earlier about listening to the radio and everything and getting yeah. inspired by other bands and groups and when you're a songwriter, you look for ideas from those. And there was a, there's a group out there called The Script. Okay. I don't know if you, you've heard of them. But anyway, they have songs like Superheroes, stuff like that. Okay, okay. I took that genre. I took uh, – and I was like, this. I could write something like that. I got that. this. <laughs> and so Arm, if you really listen to it, was sort of similar to something kind of they, they, you know, they would put out. So that, that was the two influences – they, awesome. they put that song together right there. Well, cool. So for any of the listeners who have questions for John, we are using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. Uh, of course, we're on Twitter at NASA Ames. And thank you so much for coming on over, John. And we're going to we're going to play this play out a little treat for everybody. No, thank you very much for having me here. Push it through space 
for all mankind. Questions for the answers we seek, cast in stone, universe deep. Glory is the gift to those who fly. Hey!